everyone, and welcome to episode 681 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcast. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm good. I feel well-rested for this podcast. Yes. Uh, I did get a kick out of uh, last Tuesday night. Uh, you had tweeted out saying that there's usually something that you're supposed to be doing at this time. Um, if you go back and look and you search my Twitter with that phrase, I feel like I should be. Yes. There, you could see all the times we took a day off. Yeah. Because I tweet that religiously every time. <laughs> We don't take that many days off, do we? We don't, but when we do, when we do, it's there. Yeah. But again, we took a day off, but we worked extra hard the week before. Um, You know, thanks for bearing with us. I'm glad we were able to put something out for everyone last week, even though it was Mm -hmm. pre-recorded, which ended up being very weird. Um, Yeah. You know, um, late breaking news as it was happening on the show. Um, But that was... Two weeks ago now? Yep, yep. Okay, so let's get into what we're going to be discussing for this week. A uh, bunch of DC-related stuff. DC bringing back an imprint that's been long gone. Um, official announcements in regards to some changes at the Superman books. And uh, maybe one of the biggest names in DC leaves? Yes. Um, we do have a special edition of the Rob Watch. Which is going to be a what did I call the thing when I did it on the website when I would review Rob's podcast? Uh, uh, observations? No, no, I had like another like cute little name for it or something that I can't think of right now. And oh, nope. uh, Rob's recaps. The, oh yeah, rolls right off the tongue. Yes, that's why I couldn't remember it. It was so catchy. Um, <laughs> so this week's Rob Watch is going to be a live Rob survey. Uh, Rob's recaps of the latest episode of Rob's Observations. That's a long-lasting nickel, Joe. (laughs) Um, We have conventions this weekend. Uh, We have what we read from this past week, uh, which was Jay Garrick, The Flash, and Sensational She-Hulk number one. Easy for you to say. What we're looking forward to coming out this week. We also have Todd and Joe have issues where we are reading Death. The Time of Your Life 1 and 2, an update on the ESPN Pigskin Pickums, and discussion of episodes 2 and 3 of the Disney Plus series Loki Season 2. I was supposed to watch them 2 and 3? You were supposed to watch 2 and 3, but we'll get to what you could have done uh, when we get there, huh? Okay. So, hey, we got some news and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um I guess it was one of those things that happened like pre-New York Comic Con um, that DC is going to start doing Elseworld books again, like officially titled Elseworld. Right. Um, You know, they've done all sorts of like alternate reality stuff. Everything from like, you know, the um, would you would you call the injustice stuff Elseworlds? That's a good question. Be- I don't know because it was a video game. Yeah. So it seems like that's different. But I guess you could. Anything that's not Earth Prime is in Elseworlds as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, you know, it's officially um, Elseworlds in name. Um, they are going to be doing a sequel to Gotham by Gaslight. 
Uh, they're going to be doing Batman the Barbarian. They're the sequel to Dark Knights of Steel, which previously was like an alternate universe sort of thing. Um, the sequel to that is going to be under the Elseworlds banner. Um, I know you're surprised by all of this. More Batman stuff. <laughs> um, a Green Lantern story. And the DC vs. Vampires sequel is also going to be under that. So it's one of those things where they've been doing Elseworld books for the longest time, but haven't been using the branding of it for some reason. And now all of a sudden they are using the branding for it. Um, I don't know. It it seems like it should have never went away in the first place. How about that? Yeah, it's almost like they tried to subvert it with the black label for a little bit. Yeah. And then that kind of confused people. So it's like, all right, anything that's in Elseworld is straight up, you know, out of continuity. I don't yeah. know. That's kind of where I, I feel we're at at this point. Right. And, and I think it's going to be that definitive line of, you know, um, out of continuity, um, alternate takes on a character. One would assume if the um, Batman White Knight stuff ever comes back, that that would end up being under Elseworlds as opposed to Black Label. Yeah, probably, but I I, I don't know. Yeah. But I feel like we're trying to prime the pump again since, like, What If became popular at Marvel and Disney Plus, like, with the cartoon. I could see Jimmy Pistol, like, we need an Elseworlds. Like, we could do cartoons of all this wacky stuff that's uh, not, you know, like, different timelines and different, like, Batman meets, you know, Sherlock Holmes, whatever. And I think get that stuff out early so people can see what it is. Yeah, and you you know we had mentioned before, or uh, you know you you had mentioned about the Elseworld stuff could be animated stuff or whatever, kind of like when Marvel did their what ifs as right. animated stuff. Yep, yep. So if you're not pumping stuff like that out, or you do an Elseworlds animated thing and there's nothing on your shelves with the Elseworld branding that's what you're supposed to be doing with this, you know? Yep, it's always get those issues out so we can have trades of them. You know, it take, takes a little bit, like you said, to, to 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 build up a stockpile of new stuff. Yeah. Now, I guess the other thing is uh, there is some lineup changes over at uh, Superman, not so much Superman itself, but more so Action Comics, and that starting in 2024, they're going to do rotating creative teams. Mm-hmm. And I know what you're thinking. Rotating rotating creative teams? Uh, that's <laughs> a recipe for disaster. But the rotating creative teams that are starting things out are Jason Aaron, <gasps> Joshua Williamson, <gasps> and Mark Wade. Oh, my God. Three pikers, Joe. <laughs> I'm not going to read that book. Once, now, now, I'm gonna read it many times. Now, Philip Kennedy Johnson, who was doing action comics, it's I don't know where he's going, but it's going to be interesting to see what and where Joshua Williamson is going to go because he's currently doing Superman, and if he's going to be one of at least the early rotating writers on Superman on action comics, I wonder if like for his storyline, the two books are going to cross over. Or he's going to go off Superman for the month that he's doing action comics. Right. Um, now, it was solicited. Now, I was thinking that it was going to go back to like how action comics used to be like a weekly book. 
since you have all these multiple creative teams on it, I'm like, oh, maybe Action Comics will go to a weekly book or like a bi-monthly book or something like that. Um, that unfortunately was not the case so that I couldn't make the joke and call this Action Comics brand new day. Ah, that would be good. Uh, a good rib, but I don't think it's a good name for it. Brand no. new day seems to be, have a schmear to it, Joe. It, it may have a negative connotation. Yes, yes I, I agree. Yes, yes, yes. But I did uh, talk to Jason Aaron uh, for a hot second. Oh, at, at, at New York Comic Con, I forgot to mention to this year earlier. Um, but I was talking. He was like, he was pushing the, the Superman. He's got coming up. The Batman, you know, comes out pretty soon. Like I'm getting all that. And then I kind of slipped it to him. I said, you know what? I'd really like to see you do. He's like, what? I said, I always thought you'd be a great writer for a Jonah Hex book. He goes, I like Jonah, Jonah Hex. I was like, ooh, don't tease me. <laughs> don't tease me. I said, I, I, goes, I go, I know you got to, you know, you know, you got the, the, the upper ups at DC, you know, would have to, uh, you know, give that the go. He's like, nobody has to give me the go for anything. And I'm like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and I then like I kind of like saved myself. I said, I don't know, maybe maybe somebody wearing the grays might be hard to get past the, the, the upper ups. And he goes, the story's done right. We can get it done. <laughs> I'm like, don't tease me. Don't tease me. So I'm hoping he does Batman, Superman, then Jonah Hex. That's the logical progression, right? That is. You could only go up from Batman and Superman. Right. So. Some people would even say that's the next logical step. Yes. But if he did the best Batman, the Batman from 2050, from the Hex run, oh, then that's where you're at, son. It's best of both worlds, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking forward to everything he's doing, man. Yeah, Jason Aaron, like I said, has, is and has always been one of those guys, the only... And again, I wouldn't say stinker, but it just didn't click for me. I know we talked about it before, was his Avengers book. Yeah, that was the one that I felt like was the most, like, just treading water for him. Right. That was, I think that was the one that would be the most accessible to non-comic readers. Mm -hmm. But it's not what, it wasn't for, like, somebody who's read his long-term work. It wasn't, like, as gritty or grungy as the stuff I'm used to. Yeah, and it's not even just a team book, because I really um, enjoyed his Wolverine and the X-Men book, mm-hmm. which was less a team book, and it was more of a Wolverine and kids book. Right. Because Wolverine was still the main character, and you'd get like different people popping in here and there. But some writers kind of tend to lean more toward a solo hero or like a smaller group. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like the big sweeping team book epic sort of things. And again, that's not a knock on the writer. It's just sometimes your strengths don't lead to that nature of storytelling. And it happens. Right. And Joshua Williamson's, you know, does has been doing Superman. So Yeah. That's you know, that's a, a lateral move. I'm used to him doing and I really love his Superman. And we've seen what Mark Wade can do. So like that is really a solid, I think, three creators that we both like. Right. So it's not like it's like, oh, okay, I like two out of these three rotating uh, writers. So it's more, uh, more more than likely I'm going to be getting action to go with my Superman run. Yep. And, and that's how you do a book like this. You front load it with the big dog creators mm-hmm. so that you're invested by the time, like, let's say, like the B and C talent come in. Right, right. Um, but at least with these, it looks like um, each story arc is going to be like three to four issues per creator. 
whether it means it's just going to be these three creators on a rotating schedule or who knows. We just know these are the first three creators. This is 2024. This is what the Action Comic Book is going to look like. Action Comics is on my list come the January 24 solicitations, right? Yep. I have so many DC books on my phone list now. <laughs> it's uh, almost so like they, they're fun again, Joe. Yes. Yes. Um, maybe more on fun and Mark Wade and a little bit stuff later on. Um, but another big change that was announced at New York Comic Con is that Jeff Johns is no longer doing books at DC because he's officially rolling out his own creator owned uh, thing through image as the publisher entitled ghost machine. Um, It's him. It's Jason Fabok. um, It's uh, Gary Frank, Brian Hitch, Lamont McGee, Francis Manipool, Brad Meltzer, Pete Tomasi and uh, Mayat Zashut. And I do apologize for mispronouncing the name. Um, but it's getting a mini rollout with a one shot in in January, and then it's getting a full rollout with a bunch of different books in April. Right. And, I mean, and I you know, I could he... sit here and I could read all like the buzzwords and how this creator owned imprint is going to be different than all the previous creator owned imprints. Um, but I will say uh, that this is the one. This is the book that really shone the light on it. Um, for me in recent days and weeks and whatever, um, ash cans are back. Yes. Yes. That was a big thing at New York comic con, Joe. Yep. Everybody was with like a little ash can takeaway handoffs, what have you, you know? Right. There was, I know the big ones that came through were not, that has nothing to do with this was the GI Joe ones are the hot ones now from that. Yep. But uh, yeah, I I I I like ash cans, and I don't because then it makes me want to get them for my collection, and that's yes. not you know that's another slippery slope. But uh, I, th- th- this was this was broken to me on the floor of New York Comic Con. Um, I was in Artist Alley talking with uh, the definitive Colonel Sanders artist, and like it came through over the wire, and I'm like, Jeff Johns is leaving DC, and then like there was this whole big like they had it ready to go like they had people handing out flyers at the bottom of the steps for artist alley they had a little booth like jump up in the middle and i was like oh my god they were ready for this joke <laughs> good for them and uh to give jeff johns that extra added boost geiger's gonna be a tv show so hold yep. on to those back issues joe for sure i always do yep it's don't a- sell them it's been a while since I've got a, a real good sweep of a lot of the books here, you know? Mm-hmm. Ask not for whom the Rob trolls. The Rob trolls for thee. And now, the Rob Watch. So, this is going to be a live edition of Robster Recaps. Right. Based on Robservation, the Rob's world-famous podcast. Um, the Rob now does the podcast three times a week. Um, he does Sunday, he does Tuesday, he does Friday. Um, th- and it's one of those things where, like, I'll see something of, like, eh, Rob did two parts on New York. Eh, we'll get to it, right? Mm-hmm. Eh, you know, Rob's talking about, like, 80s licensed projects. I'm like, yeah, we'll get to it. I wake up this morning and I've been on vacation. I'm backlogged on all my podcasts, right? 
Right. But when I see an episode title that says DC Dan versus the world. Oh my God. By the Rob, you cannot jump to the top of the list faster. Right. 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 Now I want to say this. Okay. Uh, usually when I would do Rob Sir recaps, I was a little bit more even handed. I'm reporting facts. Here's what the Rob said. You know, do with this information what you will. Okay. Right, right. On the podcast, eh, maybe I might be a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more hard on the Rob, you know? Mm -hmm. So where this podcast, uh, so the podcast episode is 76 minutes long. And to say that the Rob had nothing to talk about, the first 20 minutes is him meandering about his dad calling movies the pictures and <laughs> them going two towns over to see Empire Strikes Back. Ah, I, I, all he had to do was add that his dad called vampires Draculas. Right. Mm -hmm. And what sort of people fought them. Mm -hmm. uh, so... We're 20 minutes in before he starts talking about editors. He's talking about how Secret Wars is the big thing still to this day. Um, really no context other than just saying like the toy line and like not really how that all came about, which in itself is an interesting story. But we're 25 minutes in before Dan DiDio's name comes up. Okay. With a flattering impression? No, no. The Rob does not attempt to do a impression of Dan DiDio, which... Again, and I will say, I am a fan of Dan DiDio. I think he's a very charismatic person. Um, I think he tried what he thought was best for DC. And I get why he's a polarizing character. And and I get why, if you work for him, you probably more lean on the side of, you don't like Dan, right? Mm -hmm. I never worked for Dan DiDio, so I'm okay. I like Dan, right? There are some people who work for him, though, that will not say a bad word about him. But what this is about is all the people that do say a bad word. About ah, it. okay. So the Rob started off the podcast saying that he was recording this at 4.30 in the morning Pacific time. <laughs> right? Okay. Now, I, I'm not really sure why the Rob would be up that late or that early. Probably meeting deadlines. I won't say it, um, but it is a great drug. It is a great drug. Uh, uh, look. That could be why, too. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, boy. So he mentions that he wanted to talk about this story while it was still fresh. Okay? Mm. Now, when I say this is a story that was still fresh, this was a story that made it out, not on the big sites, but on a couple sites about three weeks ago. Okay? Mm -hmm. And it was um, Larry Hama and Mark Wade saying that they were blacklisted by Dan at DC Comics and giving examples of other creators that were as well and Mark Wade giving specific examples of um like he Dan personally told him that you're not and mm -hmm. then called the offices the, after the weekend and when Mark Wade called the offices after the weekend he was told Dan told us we're not allowed to talk to you right um, now also while he's doing this, like it's the, it's the Rob reading Facebook comments and listen, Larry Hama's got his name out there on his thing. And it's very clearly Larry Hama and Mark Wade has his name out there. And it's very clearly Mark Wade. But then like, there's other people that are in the conversation that are civilians. 
and the Rob is just giving like their first and last Christian names at a podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the Rob, like I said, wanted to strike while the iron was hot on this and where this all started was we actually mentioned this on the podcast a couple weeks ago um, where Jamal Eigel was doing a, a book with Dan for Frank Miller's imprint. Mm-hmm. And Dan went on a podcast, maybe um, with some negative connotations, at least in Jamal Eigel's uh, mind. So Jamal Eigel came out and said, hey, I'm not working with Dan DiDio anymore, right? If right. he's going to go on this podcast and talk to this person, I don't want to work with them, right? Mm-hmm. So that all comes up. And the Rob put out a post on his Facebook that said, people asking me about Jamal Eigel and a Steve Wilcox. Who are these people? I have no idea. Now, they're the ones that kind of started the spark to get a Larry Hama and a Mark Wade to come out and talk negatively about Dan. But again, it just kind of shows like maybe some of the ignorance of Rob. Now, I'll be the first one to say, I don't know who Steve Wilcox is. But I very much know who Jamal Eigel is, right? Yep, yep. And for Rob to say, like, to put up on his public Facebook page, like, I don't know who this person is, feels very ignorant to me, right? Um, so the Rob just essentially, the podcast is him essentially just reading Larry Hama and Mark Wade's Facebook posts about their personal interactions with Dan DiDio and keeps mentioning to an episode that the Rob did about his time at DC under Dan DiDio but not getting into any specifics about it or not telling you like what episode number or whatever it was. Right. Right. You, uh, look, again, you'll find it. Look, you'll right, find again, it. Again, like I said, it was four 30 in the morning Pacific time. I'm not really sure why, you know, the Rob didn't have this information at his fingertips. I won't say it, um, but it is a great drug. It is a great drug. Uh, uh, look. So that all being said, Rob does his plugs at the end of the show, and he always men- and he always makes sure to mention that his po- every every week's podcast is bigger than last, more downloads than the week before, and it's at the top of the charts. Right? He didn't say what charts they're at the top of. The medical charts. I I don't know. They're at the top of some charts. They're not at the top of iTunes. They're not at the top of Spotify. Um, I'd like to know what podcatcher he's looking at. He is saying that he's reading iTunes reviews and I look at the category that he's in and I have for the, like I didn't last week, but I did this week. I did the week before and the week before and the Rob ain't in the top 100, let alone the top, whatever. Right. Neither are we though. Right, true. But I don't think we say we are. We don't say we are. Okay. I, the thing that I hang my hat on is that we, um, when we changed over from Weekly Longbox to Longbox Heroes, yep. uh, we were in New and Noteworthy for like two weeks in like the top yeah. ten. That was us streaking across the sky. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and then the, the Rob, as Rob is doing his plugs at the end, uh, he mentions all the different social media that you could follow him on. Um, and he says that he's much more positive on Twitter these days. Um, six or seven years ago, he used to really abuse Twitter. Mmm. Wonder what else he abuses, Joe. I won't say it. Um, but it is a great drug. It is a great drug. Uh uh, look. Oh, I'm so positive. 
So uh, conventions this weekend. Go check mm-hmm. out the Rob's podcast for yourself. Yeah. Um, but uh, conventions this weekend. There's a couple. Like I said, New York is kind of like the end. Like technically the end of the big convention season. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really pick up again until Emerald City in February-ish of next year. Yeah, I believe so. If not, because that moves around a little bit, Chicago is like April. So mm-hmm. it's around there somewhere, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this weekend, uh, there's Music City Multicon in Nashville. Uh, Chris Bacallo, more on him later. Todd Nock, Mark Bad- Bagley, Carrie Nord are going to be at that one. Nice. Uh, and then this Saturday, one day Super Jersey Comic Expo in Holmdale, New Jersey. Right. Uh, Bob Budiansky, Amy Chu, Larry Hama, aforementioned Rodney Ramos, and Walton Louise Simonson. Mm-hmm. And I'll mention this it's Tuesday. You got like three days from the recording of this. Um, the Super Jersey one is free admission if you're in the area. Nice. Yeah. So. Uh, definitely go check that one out if you were in the greater Holmdel, New Jersey area this weekend, right? And as I always say, my favorite name in comics, like to be said, is Bob Budiansky. That's why when I saw him on the list, I'm like, I got to put him in there. I know he's a Todd favorite for that very reason. That's my, that's my Letterman's Joey Buttafuoco. Uh, also a New Jersey native, right? Yes, yes. Yes. Around those parts, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the links to those conventions will be in the show notes along with information about soon to be named network.com and soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Uh, literally the first thing that I did when I got home off the plane, unpacked, I updated all the last week's podcasts on soon to be named network. I could have did it through my phone, probably, but I was on vacation, so everything just got dumped Sunday night. Uh, But anytime any of the shows in the soon-to-be-named network go live, of course, you can find them at their own individual sites. You can find them at the top of the charts on whatever podcatcher that you're using, or you can go to -to soon-to-be-named-network.com and get them all there. Uh, That's this show. That's Longbox Heroes After Dark. The last week's episode, my interview with Cardiff Electric, people just raving about it. Uh, love it. Cardiff is enthralling. Cardiff is um, literally electric. And uh, definitely check that one out. Um, definitely uh, a, a vanity project, my one and only that I've done here on the show. Uh, <laughs> completely completely self-serving. I will right. absolutely admit that. Um, of course, uh, We Need Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, uh, At Odds with Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, uh, Wings on Wings, Hayabusi, and uh, I don't know, we're like a third of the way through the season. I still haven't gotten a follow-up on No Chance in Helmet, right? I hear uh, that's being taken over by a Jersey podcast. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that there's a Jersey podcast coming. But uh, I don't know nothing about no basketball, right? Right. Well, I'm not a part of this one, so. Oh, okay. No, no. Uh, so of course you can also go check out our friend Kevin's blog at hellionsteam.com. You can go check out Mike Sterling's blog at progressiveruin.com. You can go check out Rick Williams, uh, the chop shop at free karate chops.storeenvy.com. You can go check check out Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, which is still available a la carte over at his Indiegogo page. You can go check out Chris Runt's Battle Monsters, his self-published comic over at fortressofcomicnews.com. 
our good friend Davey of the band Cave People. He has a new comic self-published out this week called Mending, and he has a new website to sell not only Mending, but also Keeper, CaveDomainComics.com. Go check out Davey. I got to talk to Davey about us maybe getting a promo code or something, right? Yeah, that'd be an idea. Maybe we get like a little bit of a kickback, you know? Yeah, the handsomest man in comicdom right now, Davey Tomain. I I have a little bit of Tomain poisoning. He's so handsome. Uh, but uh, not at the. Uh, they should be at the comic book shop. But if you don't have a comic book shop in your area, or you don't have a good comic book shop in your area, let our comic book shop be your comic shop. Comics on the Green. I got the Facebook page linked up. That's where Dave and the crew let all of you folks know whenever the new books have arrived, because they come in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, let you know when the final order cutoff dates are for the newest, latest, and greatest books coming out, and whenever Dave gets a uh, a box of mint Silver Age key issues <laughs> dropped on his doorstep in the middle of the night, he usually has a nice thorough walkthrough of them all over on the Facebook page. Right. Before, and, the, uh, before okay. the employees start, you know, taking dibs on some yeah. of the uh, and you can sign up for the uh, mail order subscription service, get your books mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly. And if you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch on the package from our good friend Becky. You can check out her social media for her budding artwork, her commissions, her prints, her process, all of it. Yes. Um, and, I mean, as we've discussed, you know, maybe... A little bit of com- something coming with her about Lois Lane. I was discussing with her, and uh, one of our listeners, I forget who it was in the Discord, said they liked the name uh, 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 Walk Down Lois Lane, and she kind of likes that one, Joe. So we might be going with that title. And uh, she tried to get away with, oh, like there's, I don't know how many uh, issues of Lois Lane there are, like 127 or whatever. She's like, oh, yeah, I do. Like, I'll pick the best story each week uh, of each issue. And I was like, no, no, no. If there's three stories, you're doing, we're not missing. This is going to, if there's 127, then you're going to do 127 episodes. If there's three stories in each, then times that by three, you're locked into this for the next, uh, I don't know, 10 years of your life. She looks scared, but happy, Joe. So you and I have very different negotiation tactics. Yes. And you and I have very different ideas for what walk down Lois Lane, patent pending, patent pending could be. Right. Well, it's only a short uh, recap of each story. It doesn't have to be an hour, but she has to do each one. You know, we're going to talk off there. I I was just poking the bear. Uh-huh. But uh, we'll we'll see what it becomes. But that see, was you're, my idea. You're more of an antagonizer. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a people oh, pleaser. What's the opposite of an antagonizer? A pro- a protagonist. I think so. Okay. All right. More, well, you hash all that out. I'm the I, idea guy. You make it happen. Less work for me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it literally could be anything. And you'll never know because you don't listen. You could tell me it's on the. You could get in with all our listeners and go, "Oh, Becky did it. Did a great eight minutes on Lois Lane." I'll be like, "Yep, great, great eight <laughs> minutes, Becky. Do another great eight next week." <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, so let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you like to begin, sir? I'd like to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which was uh, Jay Garrick, The Flash, written by Jeremy Adams and art by Diego 
Uh, Olergitigu. I'm going to hope I got that, but I probably didn't. I'm going to uh, say you didn't. Right. Um, but basically, this is a story, uh, a flashback and, and modern time of Jay and his daughter, the Boom, uh, they call her. And she was just recently introduced in that Stargirl miniseries that there was a bunch of sidekick young heroes from the Golden Age that were uh, erased from memory. And this is the story of like, the moment she became erased as Jay and her were trying to save their, uh, her mother in the dam. And they don't, they don't remember the wife's like, Oh, I kind of remember a daughter. Like, ah, we, we, we can't have daughter. Uh, we can't have kids. So they're like, yeah, that's right. Everything falls into play. And then we cut to now where, uh, she's going to meet her mother for the first time. And it's nerve. She's nervous. And it's very interesting. I love the whole bit because I love, you know, the Jay Garrick dynamic and everything. And they end up having some touching moments, but you know, once again, the boom is kind of like she's on the run. She wants to do stuff and save the day, but the parents kind of want her to have a quiet moment because she's been gone for so long. And then it kind of opens up. Well, we, yeah, we were saving uh, you from somebody when we lost uh, her. Um, it was this villain. And we also completely forgot about this villain um, up until you recently just mentioned him. Um, so we should really look into that. And I have it's the uh, it's Doctor Elemental is the villain, and I believe it's a new villain, maybe a take on Mister Element or uh, uh, Doctor Alchemy. I don't know, but I'm I'm looking forward to where it is. I had a lot of fun with this. I'm a Jay Garrick guy. He's the second best Flash ever. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I can't wait to read more of this. And it looked beautiful. Anybody who draws a good helmet on Jay is okay with me. Art is fantastic. Um, you know, obviously the. Uh, if I have a quibble about the art, obviously we get flashback stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't like seeing Jay Garrick look young. Oh, uh, yeah, I get you. Yeah, I, like, I feel as though, like, it's like, am I reading a story where he's been de-aged? And I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 it's a flashback, you dummy, right? Right. Um, I like the little mystery that's going on with this, with the way that memories are working. Right. Um, I like the introduction of the new villain, Dr. Elemental, and I did some digging, as you mentioned. I'm like, wasn't there like a Flash Elemental villain before? It's like, no, this is a new one. We do get the bit in there. And again, if this is too spoilery, uh, it's uh, so there's a bit toward the end of the book where Judy sees who Dr. Elemental is and recognizes him. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting, right? Right. Um, I like that of the three JSA books, they're not all about the sidekicks that came back. They definitely could have fallen into a story like that. Uh, we haven't read the Alan Scott one, which does come out this week, but at least the two that we've seen so far, the Wesley Dodd Sandman one, the Jay Garrick Flash one, definitely feel like they have their own identity. And, you know, it's not the main theme of the first issue, but it's definitely like the B theme of the issue. And it's one of the things that works so well in the Flash books even if they're not part of anyone else's little corner of the DC universe and the flash has a toe in all of them, whether it be yep. Jay with the JSA or Barry with the justice league or Wally with the Titans or whatever, that the speed force is the speed family. Right. Yep. And you get that bit where Judy's like, well, I've been gone and not so much that I've been replaced, but, you know, you you get so much of her looking at that picture of all the other speedsters, and I think that does a really good job of like the story is going to tell 
or this book is going to tell the story of where Judy fits into all this. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, even though Jay is on the title of the book, I feel that this is going to be more of a Judy story. You're selling him with Jay, but you're going to keep him with Judy. I agree. And I do like that she calls them more flashes. And he's like, speedsters. We call them speedsters. It's just, it's, it's just a nice, like, you know, education. And it does help... Uh, get people who haven't read the flash in, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's her, him explaining to her explains to the reader too. So it's a great, like, you know, trick that writers use. And I, and I really enjoyed it. Yep. And you know, uh, you mentioned before coming out of the star girl book, the flash has its own deep mythos. Um, but this book did not feel heavy in any sort of way. Like it didn't <laughs> feel overwhelming. Um, it felt very like new reader friendly, which is how a number one should be. It's almost like DC Comics are fun again, Joe. Yes. Now, six of one, half a dozen the other. Um, I'm interested on what your take is going to be on Sensational She-Hulk number one. Um, main story written by Rainbow Roel. Uh, main art by Andres Genolet. Um, It is a new number one, but it literally picks up where the last issue left off from two or three months ago. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is Jen, She-Hulk, dealing with the seriousness of her relationship with Jack of Hearts. Right. Now, there's other stuff in there. We get the, you know, knockoff Fight Club stuff um, with, like, what the rules of it are, because Titana brings her husband. And if you know who her husband is, hmm. um, that's a that's a deal you get the relationship with Jen's boss and awesome Andy. Um, and then you get her Jen's first case, which is finding a place where, and listen, I'm not going to say that I know every corner of the Marvel or DC universe. Right. Mm-hmm. And when somebody gets pulled out of mothballs that I've never even heard of where we get car and ransack the reject, the deviants who are from the Eternals. I don't even know what's going on. Right. But just the look of these characters and what these characters name are that they're just looking for better housing. Cause they got kicked out of wherever the Eternals are. Like that's a fun bit that feels like it should be in a She-Hulk book. And I like this because it was a continuation of the book that I was reading before that just took like a two or three month hiatus. Yep. Uh, my take on this book is this book is, you know how you were saying, uh, it's about a very serious situation with the relationship and stuff like that. Then the rest of the book is anything but serious. Yes. And that is a nice, like dichotomy. I like the bits with, uh, Jack of hearts and Jen. Absolutely amazing. Um, the thing that I love the most, especially is in the art right off the bat, the size discrepancy, and there's no missing it. I absolutely love that they make that Jen towers over him. And when we see like the, the punch club group, like he's still the smallest and everything. It's an, it's a, it's just cool visually. And then the art is absolutely amazing. Cause I don't want to say that I need, um, 
I like, you know, it to be cheesecake for Jen, but I do like it to be like more like a smoother art for Jen, just because I don't know, it's just something in my head that, that I go with. And I think this artist just completely captures Jen in amazing ways. Um, it's completely accessible. This first issue, they give me the walkthrough of Jen's day is the perfect introduction um, I laughed out loud a couple of times and I will say I'm with you on the two deviants and I think his name is carcass, but that's just me. And then ransack the reject and I have to do the bit carcass is a deviant rejected by the other deviants for being too ugly and ransack the reject a deviant rejected by the other deviants because he was too good looking. These are my two new favorite like characters and Carcass being the straight man to the overly like pompous uh, ransack. As they're talking, I was dying. I was having a blast with this. This is such a fun comedic book. Then the Punch Club, um, but also how the powers with Jen and Jack of Hearts, you know, can be dangerous. I don't know. I, I might be on board for this book, Joe. I don't know. We'll have to see. I really enjoyed the first issue. Cool. Because I was, and again, you know, as I mentioned before, we talked about the Jay Garrick book where it's very new reader friendly. I was worried that this book wouldn't be um, just because it felt like it was just, you know, issue 18 or whatever, 17 or whatever it was, just like picking up right where the previous one left off. And like, I'm glad that you, new to the book, were able to come on and pick up all of the stuff that has been going on from the previous 16, 17 issues and kind of not be lost. Yep. This book was very easy to absorb, Joe. Oh, boy. Now, the one thing that I also liked about this is that they gave it a second feature, a backup, mm -hmm. uh, uh, written by Jessica Gao, who was one of the writers on the She-Hulk Disney Plus show, which I enjoyed. Um, and it's a very basic, straightforward thing where... Jen is going to have an intern for the day and maybe it's, you know, cause Jen is known for being a lawyer and for being a superhero. And maybe she takes the wrong intern on the wrong type of, of adventure for the day. Right. A very um, fun, very fluff, uh, very poppy, very punchy. Very, I enjoyed the backup feature as well. Yes, I enjoyed the backup feature, especially since I learned as the assistant learned too, uh, like what Jen, like Jen's like pivotal takeaways from the day. Like these are the things you're going to need, and I'm like, all all great points. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. very much enjoyed it. So I'm hoping it becomes a uh, backup feature on season two of She Hulk. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we read from this past week. Uh, let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is, you get your books before worn, before armed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am currently the lead over Todd with one correct guess, and I can't belabor this. I need to just go right for it. I think the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Marvel Unleashed number three. It is not. It is Alan Scott, the Green Lantern, number one. I've enjoyed 
all these like uh, golden age characters. And after having a conversation with the writer at New York Comic Con, he got me jacked for uh, reading this issue. Uh, if I could pretend that After Dark actually takes place after this, then maybe I could get around why I wouldn't have known that. But that was my second guess. Right. Fair enough. Um, looking at yours, is yours Marvel Unleashed number three? It is Marvel Unleashed number That's three. That's what I figured. Uh, friend of the show, listener to the show sometimes. Um, he's got a new book coming out uh, from Boom at the beginning of the year. Maybe we could, f- if, if I see him send up the flag saying, I want to go on podcasts, I'm definitely going to uh, reach out to him, you know? And that would yeah. be uh, Kyle Starks. Right. You never know. He might have, you know, give me the Iggy he wants to be on again. You never know. Oh, baby. All right. Um, so, yeah. And we're all tied up then, I guess, huh? Yeah. Look at that. Oh, Coming well, back like, strong. It's almost like the previous ten and a half months were for nothing. Yeah. We're going to end in a tie again, Joe. <laughs> it did happen once, didn't it? Yeah. I was like kissing my sister. It's the worst. And you don't even have a sister. That's why it's the worst. Right. Who was that? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, um, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out, um, past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and of course, our current ongoing Todd and Joe Have Issues, our full reread of Neil Gaiman Sandman. We are getting further and away, further and further away from issue 75 of the main series as we are now getting into more miniseries, one shot solo stories and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week we are going to be discussing the first two issues of the three issue death, the time of your life miniseries written by Neil Gaiman with art by Chris Piccolo. And again, as always, this is the part of the show where I turn things over to Todd and I just get to say, yeah, a bunch. Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously like you said Neil Gaiman, Chris Piccolo uh, Chris Piccolo, before we even get there just beautiful art, still the peak of everything I loved about him now, uh, I what? need to jump in here Right. Okay? I like Chris Piccolo's art I've always been a fan of Chris Piccolo's art but if you look at what he did in the first Death miniseries mm-hmm. and what he did in this Death miniseries you could see if not the beginnings of, but the fully change of what Chris Piccolo's art style would become. You could, but I still, I mean, it's still grounded in what he was, man. Okay. I I was worried that it may have been too far removed at this point from the first death miniseries that it would have taken you out. No, I think this, no, no, not at this point yet. I don't know where it would be. I'd have to do the history, but uh, no, we're still, as as a matter of fact, there may be some iconic shots in here that I equate with death just as much as the first miniseries. So, but we'll get there when we get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the issue starts out in February of the year, you know what I mean? And it's Hazel, you know, running out in the rain with, uh, maybe a young child that we just see kind of two legs and she's like screaming no. And then somebody shows up and she turns around and is like, Hey, like you kind of question mark. Um, then we jump to November and it's Fox glove, you know, uh, dreaming about flying, 
you know, in these like wings, like Icarus flying too close to the sun. And she's, you know, thinking about it in her dream and kind of contemplating maybe she's uh, going to die. Uh, so she ends up waking up in a hotel in New York um, and we finding out through various, you know, d- conversations with like she's getting breakfast from, you know, uh, room service and that she's a famous singer now and she's going to be doing uh, uh, Letterman tonight. So we, that's how we know she's in New York at the time. Um, and she's just thinking about the situation, how she's gotten here, like her new albums coming out um, and thinking about how she met kind of like Larry, who's kind of her kind of manager deal um and he ends up showing up at the hotel room and they end up uh discussing that playing tonight on letterman what are you going to play and she says i'm going to play uh george's tongue which if anybody you know you remember uh game of you that's worth that george that the, uh, the beheaded guy on the wall knit with his tongue nailed to the wall and, and he's like oh but what about this song because she has a song on a soundtrack for a movie that's debuting that week. He's like, no, I kind of want to do that. Um, and she ends up, you know, discussing her career. She kind of wants to play, you know, uh, smaller dates, but she's becoming so big that he's like, you kind of, you know, you can't the, the logistics of it all. She's then, too, she's too big for the small clubs, but not big enough for the giant stadium shows. Yeah, yeah, and even if she is like, then if you're going to be the stadium, you need a band, and it's like a whole, like a whole, like interesting take on it. Um, and then she says, "Well, what about the other thing?" And she's she's like, "Well, why? Like, I want to come out that it's me and Hazel. You know, I'm I'm a lesbian kind of a deal." And he's like, "We talked about that," and he gives all the the logical things, like especially at this time, like you're going to lose your male fan base who think you're cute and blah blah blah. And she's like, "I really don't care about that. I just." wanna wanna do it and he's like well we'll kind of discuss it but i have a date for you for the premiere afterwards with a underwear model and she's like oh my god but at least he's a well he's a, a buddhist um which may you know come into discussions later i, I want to interject i like the bit where she's having the conversation with the agent mm-hmm. and then a bunch of his um dialogue is redacted yeah um and obviously it's in what we're seeing here it's supposed to create the illusion that he's just like straight up outing people to her. We can't print it. Um, and there's nothing in there that would give you any sort of context clues of who he could be talking about. But I find that a fun bit and it does come up, I think, one more time. Yeah, they, it's a joke that they do at least once or twice throughout the issue. And I do like that they're having the conversation at the fountain that Death died in in the first miniseries. Mm. If you notice, they're sitting at that fountain, so it's a nice little, you know, you know, callback. And then he asks, "How are things with you and Hazel?" And uh, she's like, "You know, wonderful, perfect." And he's like, "Ooh, that bad." Um, and he's like, "You know what? All right, the thing that you want to do, you want to come out. We're going to do it, but." promise me you won't do it on letterman i'll set up the softball interview and like we'll make this work there's a way to do it don't just don't just drop it on them and she's like okay um uh and he says okay i'm gonna go uh to the airport and boris is gonna take care of you 
She's like, okay. So then she ends up doing the interview that he has uh, interview set up for with a magazine. And they're like, asked her all the questions. And one of them is like, so there's nobody in your life. And she's like, there's nobody special, which, you know, has to hurt. Even at this point, you're thinking about it has to hurt uh, her girl, Hazel, her, her girlfriend. Um, So we cut back to Hazel's house in California and she's answering the door for the gardener. They're having their chit chat. And uh, what's the kid's name? Alvy? Yeah, Alvy. Alvy. Um, Alvy is is up on like the balcony playing with Superman dolls and stuff. And he ends up falling off. And Hazel like screams, but he's fine. And he's like, oh, you know, kids resilient. Isn't that a miracle? Um. Uh-huh. So now, was there something you want to say, Joe? I'm sorry. Nope. Go ahead. All right. So uh, her manager's on his way back to. Uh, Los Angeles on the plane. He's like setting up all the things and even helping Foxglove with Hazel to send flowers. And he ends up having a heart attack on the plane. Um, and as he's dying, you know, he says, I just hear a voice say my name. And then you see the onk, which is a nice, like we didn't get death yet, even though he's dead, but you, you know, she's there. Uh, we see the rehearsal for Letterman and she's playing George's tongue and we get all the lyrics for that. Which is which is really cool, um, and we get to meet Boris, who's kind of like her bodyguard assistant. That's the one that Larry said like take care of her, um, and they're talking. We get various information from him. I don't know if it's now or later that he had a daughter uh, who passed away, uh, or was that Larry? I get confused. Larry had the daughter. Larry had the daughter who who died of. Uh, 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 of cancer. So he says, yeah, she passed away. Um, so she ends up, you know, getting ready, like Boris is handling all the stuff, um, and taking care of the, the, the underwear model and she falls asleep and the ghost or whatever of Larry shows up. And he's basically saying, you know, uh, listen, this is important. Listen to Hazel. When Hazel tell you have to absolutely listen to her. And, uh, she's kind of blowing him off. And in the end, he's like, do you think death's a real person? And he's like, death, the person comes to meet you. And he's like, she's just kind of blowing him off again. He's like, again, remember, you got to do what Hazel says. She's like, stop it. Um, and she's like, yes, I do. I do believe that death is, is a person, a come, is a real thing. And then he like burns up and she's freaked out by it um, and kind of wakes up and is like, oh, I had this, this weird dream about Larry because she doesn't know yet. Um Back with Hazel, she's talking with the uh, the gardener who like kind of leaves, and once again she has to pretend that uh, she's uh, not a lesbian because he like hits on her. It's like no, 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 thank you, um, because nobody knows that they're dating. Um, they go off. Uh, Foxglove goes off to the premiere, but uh, she ends up getting a call from Hazel along the way, um, and she ends up saying. I like this bit that she said that she was going to do George's tongue, um, but she ended up doing the song from the the movie. Um, and Hazel's like saying, "All right, that's that's all well and good too, but you have to come home. Please come home now." And Fox loves like blowing her off, like I have to do this 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 bit. I have to promote the movie. I'm on a tour. It's like, please come home. He's like, I'll be home whenever. And somebody says, well, what did she say? She said, no. I mean, she's got a lot going on. She kind of explains, but uh, I don't think she's coming. She goes, 
So this person says, are you coming? And she goes, I suppose I don't have any choice. And sitting on the couch with an umbrella is death saying, no, you really don't have a choice. And that's one of those iconic shots that have been used a million times. I have that statue. They did that as a statue. And she does that pose later in the mini. And it's just as good. You know what I mean? Uh, I love this artwork. Um, and, And I guess that's the one thing that I'll... Um, point two, and we'll get to issue two here momentarily, but issue one, you know, I had mentioned that Chris Bacallo is now, uh, at least in my opinion, I'm glad it's not, because I know you're not a fan of his new art, you like mm-hmm. the old stuff, while some of his, like, pretty much everyone else in this book looks and feels like his new art style, except right. for death. And I think that's what's saving it for me. Okay. Now that you say it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. Like death, like bestow my heart, you know, you got her perfect. So anything else, I don't care. And I don't even think, I think like when he does Fox, I think when he does Foxglove and Hazel, they're normal, but like, especially like Larry and uh, Boris and stuff, those seem like the wonky style that he's getting into. But the characters we know and love, I think he knew he couldn't stray too far from, if you get my meaning. It was too soon. Absolutely. Of, yep, yep. So you ready for issue two? Or let's go. Yep. So now you know Hazel's having discussions with Death, and I I like the bit like discussing how she ended up quitting smoking because she was having Alvy, um, and then she ended up making the deal with Fox Love to quit too. And I like Death's like, well, you want one now? And she's like, uh, yeah, but I won't. Thanks, because um, I don't think she's going to hurt her much with what's going on. They don't. Oh just, boy. They don't say, but. I don't think it's going to hurt her. So we're back in New York for the film premiere. And uh, Fox Love is just checked out. And I liked it. She's like, and I have to be careful because I can't just be seen at this uh, premiere as the person doing the soundtrack with my head, like, nodding off into my chest. Um, But she kind of does. And she's dreaming of butterflies um, and how she wishes she could be one. Because then, like, uh, you know, it would be, what was it, uh... Uh, I'm a butterfly. I wouldn't be running away from anything if I was a butterfly. Um, So she gets woken up by Boris during this dream of being a butterfly and brings her out um, and tells her, I got something to tell you. And I like when they ask her, because she's just running down the movie in her head. They're like, how was the movie? And she hits all the things that you're supposed to say, like all the buzzwords. Right. Um, And as they're going into an office to be alone, they go past Batman again sign, which I thought was a a nice uh, little nod. Uh, I think it should be a Batman again question mark. Yes, yes. With all the times they do Batman. Um, So he ends up telling her that Larry had a heart attack uh, on the plane. And like it's 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 probably kind of good because. you know, he probably didn't feel anything. And then he goes like all the all the all the spectrox that he probably took. It was only a matter of time. And Hazel's freaking out because he said that he came to her in a dream. And he said that I should have listened to Hazel and I didn't. Um, and that's when uh, the underwear model comes in. Uh, what is his? his name is Vito because um, his mom was a Godfather fan and. Um, and he's kind of there, and Boris is just kind of like, uh, everything's going on. She's like, no, I kind of got to get home. Um, and then we cut to uh, Hazel and Death again. He's like, do you want to kind of tell me about it? She's like, I don't want to bore you. 
Um, he's like, yeah, people don't bore me. I like people. And then Hazel's like, even the creepy ones. And I love like when Death talks about it. There's that shot where she's kind of looking over her shoulder right at us. And she's like, nobody's creepy from the inside, Hazel. You know, some of them are sad and some of them are hurt. And some of them think they're the only real thing in the world, but they're not creepy. She's like, so you see them from the inside? And she's like, pretty much like that. I was like, well, if I tell you this, you know it all anyway. She's like, no, I don't know it all. Do it. So I'm not going to hit um, all the all the things. But she basically runs over the history that we know that we got from Hazel and Foxglove from the first miniseries. There's some bits and pieces that they add, like what they were doing before they met. But we go through it all that Foxglove was an abusive relationship. And then she met. they met each other. And uh, I like that Hazel like, tells Death, do you believe in love at first sight? And uh, Joe, she says, sure. And when she says, sure, and I know this was a concerted effort, she's looking me square in the eyes. You. Me. So she knows that I fell in love with death at first sight. And I don't care. That's what my mind thinks was the whole. Because, uh, you know, we've been over it. How De- uh, Neil like says everybody who meets her instantly falls in love with her. And somehow he managed to make it happen every single time. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Um, and I like that she says, uh, I didn't believe, Hazel, like, I didn't believe in love at you know, first sight. But then I believed in, like, who, uh, hi, whoever you, I want to be with you forever. Forever? You know, you know, the whole till death do you part? And death's like, I understand the death to you, to you part. And I'm like, God, I love death. Um, so we go back to Boris, and Boris is telling uh, Fox love. There's no planes. There's no back. What about a red eye? They don't do them anymore. I have to get back. And Boris is like, all right, I need a break. This is, you know, you're grinding me down. He goes outside and Vito and uh, Fox love have a conversation. And I like that. She kind of talks about, well, you're a Buddhist. What would you do? And he's like, yeah. Journey begins with a single step. She's like, I should walk. He's like, no, I'm just saying, make an effort, charter a plane. I think that's what we should do. You know, you're kind of a star. Like oh, and you have a message on your mach- on the machine. The I'll I'll check it out, and he ends up saying that the person that Foxlove did the interview wants to talk to her because she found somebody who says they had a had a relationship with her, and this person's a woman, and he's like oh great kind of a deal. She's like you know, I, I guess it's coming out kind of a kind of a thing. Um, more on, you know, death and Hazel talking and we get to see once again, even more of the explanation. We see bits and pieces from the first mini as like, you can see death with the, uh, the, the top hat on and, uh, basically saying how their relationship changed, kind of changed, started to begin to change as she got famous. Um, uh, now we're on the, the charter plane and they end up, you know, Boris wants to go to sleep. He does the the bit with the redacted stuff uh, being on like a charter plane. He's like, yeah, I did when I was working for so-and-so a couple of times. Um, and Boris doesn't like the underwear model, but the underwear model and Foxglove have a little conversation. Um, and this is where we find out his mother was a Godfather fan. That's why she called him Vito and was nearly going to call him Vito Corleone. Um, still never saw the Godfather, by the way. Um, and uh, but ends, at this point, you're okay. Yep. Ends up like I've never even heard one of your records. She's like, "We'll play it, but play it quietly," because um, Boris will freak out. So she's on the plane thinking to herself while she's on her own um, about the person that talked to the reporter that they did have the affair 
Um, and she ends up like thinking about how she met her and she was just had that one night stand and was leaving and knew she was never going to, uh, to call her again. He's like, this is going to come back to haunt me. She ends up dreaming of Larry again, but she dreams of the apartment from game of you. She dreams of a, a twister coming down. He's like stormy weather coming. She's like, well, I survived, uh, that, uh, you know, that time my building was attacked by a storm. I'm wondering if I can weather this one. And she ends up waking up landing, you know, in Los Angeles. And I like the bit that we see the underwear model, uh, his ad on the wall and what, um, him being in a noose may allude to Joe. <laughs> Cause I didn't get it until somebody explained it there too. Um, so they end up getting in a car and Boris is driving back, uh, to the house. Um, and he, you know, does another bit with the redacted and he ends up telling Boris, he's like, you know, that one in France. And he's like, yeah, he's like, the, 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 the magazine knows about it. I said she was trouble. It's like, and you never did tell Hazel about her. He's like, no, I didn't. Or any of the others. He's like, no, I didn't think so. Um, uh, and he's like, oh man, this is going to be bad. And I like that uh, Boris, like, I wish Larry's like, yeah, so do I, but you know, it's too late for that. So they get back to the house and uh, I like that her code is a way to remember it is eight, uh, the 1812 overture. Cause I think I'm going to use that for my passcode from everything from now on. <laughs> uh, she goes off and Boris and uh, Vito have like a conversation. It's like, I think, you know, this is bad, but uh, I think this might push Hazel and or Foxglove over the edge. Um, and now we're getting deeper into the realm with uh, Death and Hazel as they're walking. And she's basically saying, as, as she led up before, that the relationship has changed. And it's not so much changed that they're different people. It's just that more people were getting what foxglove is and they you know they loved her more and you know i i don't know really how to explain other than uh you know she she just wishes she had her more to herself than the whole world um which is uh an interesting conversation a great you know take on when you're uh uh become big and she says but in the end i always knew that she loved me no matter what with like this the, the horrible fans uh, but I always want it to be like it was, and it can't. Um, so she's like, where's, you know, uh, well, Alvy? And he's like, I'm with her, even though I, him, I'm even though I'm with you. It's kind of confusing. And uh, Foxlove is starting to put some things together, and she ends up saying, "I they're gone, but I think I know where they went. And she ends up getting out a gun, a knife, and a bowl, and says, I'm going to go find them with or without you. And the bull is heavily reminiscent of when they went into the dreaming with Thessaly. Um, so I'm wondering what she's going to try and do with that bull and those utensils. Mm. Um, so this is good. Mm -hmm. But this definitely feels like a lot of padding. The two issues. Right. Um a lot of the lyrics, a lot of the repeating of the backstory of these characters. Now, granted, it's been a long, at this point, it's probably been at least five years since these characters have appeared in a comic, let alone a Sandman comic. 
Um, and I get why you want to tell this story for the storytelling device of everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to do these things to get to this point at the end of issue two, which, as you mentioned, is the callback to what Thessaly did uh, during a game of you. So many throwbacks, so many echoes, so many everything to the original story of Hazel and Foxglove. But like I said, it just feels like a lot of padding to get us to this point. Right. To be fair, though, Death, the High Cost of Living was only three years ago. Uh-huh. The the game of you was probably f- like further back. Sure, but uh, no, I'm getting. I'm just trying to put the timeline together in my head. You know what I mean? But I'm with you. I feel like this is probably the only knock I would have on this, and I'm and I'm with you is that this is probably the most overwritten thing of Sandman that Neil has done up to this point. And for like Neil, for me to say Neil overwrote something a little bit, that's. That's to take some gumption from me, but I'm with yeah. you. I'm kind of like, yeah, you could have trimmed this down. I think there was a lot of panels that we didn't need. Like when there's like 14 panels on one page, like we could have cut this down and got rid of all this text balloons and stuff like that. I- mm-hmm. I'm with you, but looks beautiful. And it's not the worst thing I've ever read. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, so next week, uh, this one's going to be tough and you're going to really have to track down the, uh, the post about this to find out. I'm sure it's all collected somewhere in one spot, but we have issue mm-hmm. three of the time of your life to wrap up this story arc. And then we have one, two, three, four, five short stories. Uh, we've got the Sandman Neil Gaiman short stories from Vertigo Winter's Edge one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. We have the last Sandman story from Dust Covers, the collection of Sandman covers, which was not the last Sandman story. And then the story that Neil did in the 9-11 tribute book. Right. And now the interesting thing about these is these stories have to have to take like because Winter's Edge is once once a year. So these stories all like peter out over the course of maybe set like in dribs and drabs over seven years well again you know death of um time of your life is 96 the 9-11 tribute book you know so you're like yeah about six years give or take right right so you're getting like one sandman neil gaiman short story approximately a year yep yeah right um but like i said you know these things are all collected and I really haven't dug in to see where they are all collected, but this is just like the one spot where all of these things do happen after, you know, death time of your life until we get to the next Sandman miniseries, which is Endless Nights, which, you know, we'll be talking about in two weeks. But Endless Nights doesn't come out until 2003. So that's still like another like year after all of this. Yep. Wacky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, definitely look at the um, Todd and Joe have issues post that goes up on Thursday. Um, and I'll have in there where you could find these in the collections and so forth. And then from here on out until the end of the year, it's just straightforward with Endless Nights, Dream Hunters and Overture. 
Unless right. Todd, by some chance, has been holding out on me and got the uh, helm at New York Comic Con this past weekend. I has that did final not, story off that. We did. I And I don't know if we talked about it on here or I don't know if we ever talked. Somebody asked me. I did look and I saw zero white San Diego exclusive helm versions mm-hmm. at uh, New York. But as of right now, we're only three weeks away from that helm edition coming out. Yeah. So I almost have it paid off, Joe. All almost. right. Yeah. And we got to figure out what we're doing for next year as well. I was going to bring that up to you. I don't know if it was going to be on the show or after, uh, after afterwards, but we kind of have to, yeah, because I'd like to get that done, not the day of the end of the year. You know? Yeah, let's let's uh, put a pin in that and come back to that next week, maybe on After Dark. How about that? Unless fair something enough, else happens, fair enough. right? Yeah, because we had a we're going to have a fat After Dark this week. Yeah. Um. So again, if you want to help us out, support the show, of course. Uh, head over to the store link. We got shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Shoot me an email. We'll work out a deal. I'll sell them to you at rock bottom prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, head over to our T Public store. You can get designs inspired by this show, by Soon to Be Named Network, by other shows on the Soon to Be Named Network as well, on everything from cell phone covers to notebooks and everything in between. Um, if you also want to help us out, you can make any and all of your purchases on eBay through our eBay affiliate link. Uh, this page contains affiliate links for eBay. We may receive a small commission on purchases you make. You may use the affiliate link anytime you want to buy anything on eBay and support us at the same time. Yeah. But most notably and most um, riching to you would be signing up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash longboxheroes. As little as a dollar a month, you're going to get two bonus shows from Todd and myself previewing the past where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog and comic book oddities where we're looking at some of the uh, more oddball, more off-the-wall, more pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though we did do a movie this past week that might be the start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Howard the Duck. Um, it looks like we'll probably be doing that next year. Still haven't decided if we're going to put it up to a vote or just keep rolling with that into next year as well. Um, of course, you also get the full scans of all those previews catalogs that we talk about on previewing the past. $5 and up is going to get you those two bonus shows two weeks before everyone else. And it's going to get you after dark two days before everyone else so that you can listen to these shows weekly in the correct listening order. So helpful. Yes. Um, no Todd's art attack this week. No, no, especially since I'm out of the art biz, man. Right. The art game, I'm sorry, the art game. And uh, ESPN pick, pigskin pickums, Todd. It was a bloodbath for anybody who thought they knew football this week. Was it a step forward? No. A giant leap forward for people who pick at random? Yes, it was. Well, I wouldn't say pick at random, but I think a lot of people's minds are too clouded by knowledge. That is true. Right. And if you just say, oh, my friend likes this team, I'll pick them, right? Yep. Um, Because Todd is all the way down to 11th place. It was and, bad this week, Joe. And it, oh, Go I'm ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, it was the upset week of the decade, Joe. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Hurt. It hurt. Carl Bratanalonaluski's upset week of the decade of the week. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, Todd's at 11th. I'm in third. You might win this year, Joe. I could win. I'm going to win. Yeah, listen. That's the last thing that Rip Rogers did that was good. Oh, he's been on a he's been on a 35 year streak of not doing good things. Mm-hmm. But at least he had a hot moment, right? Right. More than we could say for a lot of people. So, last but not least, um, we have two episodes of Loki season two to talk about. Right. Two episodes I have seen. Right. Um, first episode, and again, it's episodes two and three. We talked about episode one last week. Um, so Loki and Owen Wilson are trying to get back the people that turned on the uh, the TVA. This episode, episode two, is primarily about them trying to get back. Um, again, they, they 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 mess up my mind. Um, X five, who is back in London, nineteen seventy seven, on the sacred timeline, and he's kind of posing himself as a movie star. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's in a movie called Zaniac. Um, Loki and Owen Wilson. And again, it's Mobius, but it's Owen Wilson, right? Right. Um, They have like a little chase. They bring him back to the TVA. They put him in a room. They're trying to get him to talk. They know that Miss Minutes is helping Renslayer, who also absconded away as well as X5 did. And they're practicing out their interrogation techniques here on X5, Brad Wolf, whatever you want to call them. They get the bit where Loki and Owen Wilson decide to do, uh, I guess, good cop, bad cop, where they bring in the interrogation device. They don't have the controller. Loki sends Owen Wilson out to get it, but he locks him out. He really has the controller. He shows what the device could do, which was create the box around people, use it to crush the skull, the the stool that X5 was on, puts one of those around him. And again, this so they're trying to find out where Miss Minutes is and Renslayer is, but they're also trying to find where uh, Sylvie is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where they go and find Sylvie is working at that McDonald's. Um, that they did the promotional tie-in stuff for that we saw at the end of last, or, you know, episode one. She's there as an employee, living a life separate from all of this. No TVA, no variants, no Loki, no nothing. And of course, Loki shows up and that's just a big giant reminder of all of this. And while this is going on, the A story, the I guess the through line of everything is that the loom is breaking apart, right? Right. And the loom is becoming unstable because of the branches that are coming off. And as new branches are growing, it's becoming more and more unstable. And it's locked. They can't get it without um, Miss Minutes. Or the only other thing is he who remains. And again, it's Kang, okay? His mama named him Kang. I'm going to call him Kang, okay? Right. So Kang's temporal aura can unlock it as well. But where are they going to find Kang? And that's kind of how episode two ends, right? Mm-hmm. I'm okay with episode two. 
Yeah, uh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. Didn't love it. It was, it was fun. I kind of like, and they end up like the, the, the lady, I think her name is Doc's. Uh, she ends up pruning a bunch of the timelines to kind of restore things. And that's kind of like where we get like they, you know, the TVA is murdering billions and billions of people, you know? Yes. So maybe they're not so good, you know? Right. And like I said, this episode was okay. Right. Right. Episode one was okay. Yeah. How about Ep- episode three, Joe? Todd, I loved episode three. Well, that's an opinion. Well, the reason I loved episode three was because it was the Kang episode. Was it? It was because we get, um, what do they call him? Victor Timely shows up. We get all, everything that's set up in regards to uh, the TVA um, with um, Renslayer and Miss Minutes going back to 1860 something. To leave a specific package on a specific windowsill at a specific time, because that's what Kang told them to do, and that's so that they can give young Kang the TVA manual that was written by Ouroboros, called OB for short, so that could begin the time loop of Kang starting figuring out time travel and getting us to the point where we are in the current day of the loom and the TVA. And it's one of those things where it's a time point that needs to happen in the past so that the present and the future can happen. I'm sure if I was more of a doctor who type person, I could probably explain this in a better way, but it was time travel stuff that worked for me. Right. Um, Oh, and I forgot to mention, um, because a lot of this episode takes place in like the eighteen hundred, the late eighteen hundreds, um, in the opening of the show they do the the Marvel opening, right? But they do it with the old timey piano, which I'm a sucker for that. Yeah, especially for like I know you never watched it. Like Westworld was big, that they did all the old timey Western like paint it black by the Stones, and stuff like that. They used to like take the modern songs and, and work them in as, as old Western songs. So I kind that I, I'll, I'll always like be a, be fond of that. Um, but I will say what I did, the time stuff, I don't mind because I'm, I'm, I'm a doctor who guy. I'm, I'm all about that. But the stuff with Victor timely, mm-hmm. like when we find out he's a con man, I feel like we've been conned too. Like, like, well, my thing is, okay you're a Kang guy. I am. And I'm like, you're trying to get Kang over with people who aren't Kang people or who have never met Kang. So the first thing you do is you give them fan, you give people Thanos and you're like, all right, you like Thanos? Well, here's somebody that I think you're going to like just as much. And you give them Kang. And it's like, no, Kang is not Thanos. Then you know, he's in Ant-Man and he gets taken out by Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'm like, oh, okay, you're really trying to get Kang, you know, over with people. Like, this isn't working. So now you bring in young version of Kang and he's this guy who, like, the actors made some interesting choices on the way he acts. Oh, I thought you were going to say in real life because he's Well, no, too. he's made some interesting choices in real life, too. But, so he does that and then he turns out to be a complete joke as in a con man. 
And like, you're like, yo, he's this thing, like this day, like at no point at this show ever, are we building up to Kang? And I feel Kang is ever a threat other than for a hot second in Ant-Man three. So I don't think they're doing a good job with this character. That being said, when they betray, like when he says, I don't do partners in the movie and the, in the show. And then Ravonis, uh, I can't think of her name. Uh, Renslayer is like, yeah, well, this and that. I dropped the book off. We'll be partners. And he kind of has that look. And you're like, ooh. And then he dumps her in the ocean and say, like, or in the lake and, and leaves her. I'm like, that's – all right. There's something with Kang. But up until this point, I do not care. And then when Miss Minutes goes absolutely crazy and is in love with Kang mm-hmm. and – I have a feeling she's going to end up being an evil AI, a.k.a. Jocasta or there, something. Uh, I wanted to get into that as well, yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm, I'm doing all my bits in one fell swoop, so. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, So, I say we get this iteration of Kang as Victor Timely as essentially a con man, right? Mm-hmm. Because he does have his actual inventions that work. But he needs money to fund those. And he has to swindle people. Um, And again, as someone who watches these shows with subtitles on, because it helps me focus. Me too. The guy who pays the $1,000 in 1890s money for the prototype of the loom. Right. I like that in the subtitles. The character's name is Robber Baron. Well, he was a robber baron. That was actually a thing in the old west. That's what they called him. I that's know. not his. That's not his Christian name. I know that's not his Christian name and his shoot name. But <laughs> I like that in the subtitles they didn't even give him a character name. It just says robber baron laughs, and I'm just like, oh, that's so adorable. Yep, yep. But where I'm going with this is he makes these things like when when the mayor whoever shows up with the mechanical pants that were supposed to make him taller. <laughs> and did you ever see Wallace and Gromit? Um, yeah, yeah. With the uh, the 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 trousers, the that's what all I could think of is that they were swiping that. But yeah, he was like, "Oh, I'll come over and adjust them later." You're gonna adjust mechanical pants, okay? Yeah. And the was so when the mayor comes up to him, right? <laughs> and obviously the mechanical pants don't work. And again, was it subtle? Was it not subtle? When? The mayor comes over. Kang like starts like slouching down, uh-huh. and he's like, "Oh, I noticed you're taller already." I almost cursed. <laughs> but I think it's a situation of we have to see this character's humble beginnings, right? Right. Because when what? Loki sees him and um, Mobius sees him, they sell it. It's like, oh my god, it's him, right? Like, yeah. This is this dangerous guy, and here he is. He's like essentially like a stuttering goofball. Yep. Something happens. Like he's got the evil in him, like you said, where he says he doesn't do partners. He pushes Renslayer over the thing. Uh, Miss Minutes is a crazy person, and that's how we're getting to Jocasta in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is maybe pretty crazy, right? Right now, I'm not going to say it's definitely Jocasta, but I can't think of any other. <laughs> evil or a female like AI thing. You know what I mean? You are not the first person that I've seen postulate this online. I have other predictions, but I'm afraid to say them. If they turn true, then everybody's like, I spoil stuff. So, okay. 
Um, but and the, you know, then of course, um, Sylvie ends up showing up, and there's the fights between the two camps, whether it's Renslayer's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Renslayer's side or Mobius' side of how did Sylvie get here, whose side did she follow? But she's here to kill Kang to stop all of this, you know, to prevent the variants, to prevent all of this. And then Kang gives her the sob story and she ends up letting him go. Right. Yep. Um, but it's kind of also cause Loki gives them the, gives her the, yeah, we need him cause we need his aura yes. to stop the loom because where you are and you're happy, it's all going to blow up and that's going to die too. So I don't know if it's so much Kang sob story right, it as Loki. it is yeah. Loki saying, well, everything you love is going to be destroyed too. You know what I mean? So half dozen to one, six to the other. I don't know. And is this backstory like comic accurate for Kang? I don't care. I don't care either, but I will say this, Joe, there's a part of me that says Victor timely is not the Kang or like, or whatever it's OB. Oh, you think they're going to swap things and OB is going to turn out to be like new Kang going forward something's up all right that's my weird far-fetched prediction okay but there's something up with ob ob is not as nice and wonderful as everybody thinks and he's the one who wrote the book on time travel so i'm wondering if ob is something or he's immortus or something i don't know I know we had a Mortis in the in the in the Ant Man movie, but I don't know because like you're saying, oh, he has all these inventions that he created, and he just needs funding as a con man. He didn't create those. Ob created all those, and he well, just has Ob's book. Who Ob wrote the book? We we and again, we're you know obviously this is all speculation and theory at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're at the end of the show. You know, if you're watching the show, you're here. If you're not watching the show, you're probably gone. Um. I mentioned, of course, you know, there's got to be something that happens that turns Victor Timely into the Kang that we've seen in Ant-Man 3 as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other guy, one of the workers, like, he, he he's the one who's like, I've memorized this book. I know it frontwards and backwards. He asks OB to sign the copy. And that was a weird moment where he asks OB to sign the copy. And I'm like, that's going to come back into play later. That they're going to find like that specific version of the TVA manual that was signed by OB, right? That wouldn't right. have happened for no reason, right? Um, like they're gonna like compare uh, signatures on something or something that means right, yep. something. Um, also, side note, I I would buy a replica of the TVA manual. Would, now, would it? Would you, how about this for one of your notebooks if it was just empty? Yeah, I would absolutely do that. that I, I knew you would. Um, yeah. I have one other prediction if you want to hear it. Yes. You know the worker at McDonald's? The friend who's talking? waiting for his mom to pick him up. Yep, that's Owen Wilson. Okay. That's young Owen Wilson. That's the life that he doesn't know exists? Yep, that's the one. You're going to find out that that kid loves jet skis, man. I will say, at least, I do like in every episode so far this season, Owen Wilson gets to eat on camera as part of his character. Yeah, that's taken from uh, Robert Downey Jr. always having snacks on the set. 
wasn't it wasn't there a bit with um brad pitt in one of the oceans movies or whatever like his character trait was that he was always eating i think so but the one with Avengers, there's a, there's the bit in the first Avengers movie where Robert Downey Jr. is eating blueberries, maybe? I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but he's walking around. He's handing them out. Like, they, they did in interviews. Those are his shoot blueberries. Um, <laughs> not, a, and he would, not his working blueberries. Not his working blueberries. Those are his shoot blueberries, Joe. And he would keep snacks around the set, and they were filming one. He had the bag in his hand. He was just eating and they're like, run with you're Robert Downey Jr. You built the empire. Do whatever you want. <laughs> so they would say there'd be food rotting in various cabinets because they forgot where it was. Yeah. That's been a week. Does this did this cucumber go bad? I yep. don't know. Yep. So <laughs> but yeah, those are my those are my tree predictions for uh for uh, uh Kang or Loki. Yeah, I think uh my prediction is I just want more Kang. I just get if you're gonna do Kang, get to Kang. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're gonna we're gonna get. I think it's all gonna be Doctor Doom. But that's what I say about everything. So what if um, Ob is Doctor Doom? Ooh, I take that. Okay, I take that. Ob built the time platform. All right. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, listen. Uh, that's all we got for low key. We're back. That's all we got for the show. We're back, but we're done. Yep. That's everything. That, that was episode 681 of long box heroes. Uh, thanks everyone for listening for Todd. This is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.